Hey everyone, this is Flippin' Finance. I'm Sam Mistermore, and I'm joined by my co-host, Fabian. Good morning. Today is February 21st, 2023. And this week, step into my office because I'm getting on my soapbox about having a basic estate plan and life insurance coverage, and then making it interesting and fun with taking those same principles and wrapping it around stock compensation. But before we get into that, Fabian kicked the disclosure music. As always, none of this is investment advice and does not constitute an offer to buy or sell any securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer, Vallejo Financial Advisor, or any of its affiliates. This is for educational purposes only. And we are lazy, so we have no duty to revise any of this information. So, Fabian, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good, man. The um, I don't want to get my hopes up, but the weather is starting to feel really nice in Indiana right now. Do I know I'm setting myself up for failure, but I can't help it, yeah. especially if you're somebody who like enjoys running outside. It's like perfect weather right now. So I've, you know, screw, screw Tony Phil or whatever, whatever the hell his name is. Uh, I think whatever. I think it's more in the clear. It's false winter. Just uh, the key to life. And this is what I tell Austin is to just keep your expectations low. So if uh, you could just lower your expectations of what you want from me as a partner, then I can jump over those easily. <laughs> oh, I, I will say kind of tangential, you know, about what's going on in my life. But I think this ties into finance because I assume every finance, tall finance person such as yourself plays golf. I am like, oh. wow, <laughs> wow, am, stereotype. I am wow. all in on this full swing show on Netflix. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Dude. No. So good. I, and I don't care about golf, but now all of a sudden I care. Like I have players okay. that, that I'm rooting for. So it's, it's really good. I think you should check it out. So this is, this is like the drive to survive F1 version of golf. I believe that it's the same production company, like the same people made uh, this. So, you know, it's like good quality. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll have to, I'm not a big show person. I, I, as you know, I like, I like reading everything, but. No, we didn't make it through. We didn't make it through. It was so cringy. I just like, I hate. Yeah, we didn't make it through the last season because I was like, oh my God, all these people are just horrible. And like, you're, you're rooting for the less, you're rooting for like the least dirty shirt in the hamper. That's in a way. Like, they're all these dirty individuals. Uh, God. But, We're going to get off track. Before yeah, we get started. that's that's not the point of this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the point of this one, though, is just I call it eating your financial veggies or and working out in, in a way on your on your financial plan. So it's it's things that you don't really want to do. But afterwards, you're kind of like, ah, I'm glad we have that taken care of. And or I'm glad we kind of sat down and, and took the effort to have, have a plan in place uh, in there. And when you look at the, the newsletter, there's a little gif in here of like a surprised, very confused face because I meet people all the time. I'm I'm 32. Life's pretty much over after you're 30 because you should probably have uh, like a will and a state plan in place by the time you're at least 30, I would recommend. And 
I know you just did yours, Fabian, but we have a lot of other friends and some friends that, that have kids that don't have an estate plan in my face. Uh, once again, we're getting drinks with people and I just like, Hey, you got an estate plan type of thing, you know? And people are like, no. And I just have this like face of like, of just like confusing disgust in a way of like, you're an adult. <laughs> it's time to eat your financial veggies. And that like requires two hours of effort to go and, and take care of an estate plan. But I think part of it is no one knows what the hell an estate plan is. Right. It's, you know, did you it know sounds what is- worse than, than it is in, in terms of like, what am I, what am I committing to? And I, I see that a lot in my job where people don't want to take the next step because there's like this fog of like, well, I don't know, really know what I'm committing to. Where am I going? The, the journey isn't really laid out in a way. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hoping mm-hmm. to take care of that today of what is an estate plan. It's not that hard or confusing. It's really easy to take care of, assuming you know what you want to do type of thing. So there is the basic part, which is just having a will. So that is, you know, my assets go to XYZ charity or XYZ family member. And I would always encourage people to have one each. It, it's dependent on the state you're in where you can like have a handwritten one, depending on the state, or you have to have a notarized one from an attorney, or you can have like a holographic one. That's where you just kind of like, I'm Sam Moore. All my assets go to the humane society type of thing. Um, because if you don't have one, the state is more than happy to provide you one. And then you're kind of going along with what the state laws are there. So um, if you want your assets going to where you'd like them to go, get a well. Uh, that's not like a big deal in my opinion, because uh, you're dead. You know, <laughs> who cares what happens to your, your assets in a way. What I do really care about is like your healthcare power of attorney. That's part of your estate plan. So you've got the will and you got healthcare power of attorney. So let's just say the classic example of you're in a car accident. You can't make decisions on your own behalf. That's where a healthcare power of attorney kicks in. So whoever you uh, nominate to uh, fill in that role. so. Fabian, if you were my healthcare power attorney, I'm in a car accident. You would then uh, make decisions on on my behalf uh, in, in that case. But like, it, it's a big decision. It's like, who are you nominating? Is it your mom? Is it somebody nearby? Is it a really good friend? It's it's kind of an important thing to think about if you can't make decisions on on your behalf uh, on there. There's also durable power of attorney. Also, so same situation. You you can't make decisions on your behalf, but you need to pay bills. You don't want your utilities turned off. You don't want to be missing credit card payments. You are car payments and things like that. My financial life is not really 100% automated. There's manual things that um, still need to get done. So you would give that person the power to to step into your shoes, if you will, while, while you're unable to. So th- those are the three things so far. Will, healthcare power of attorney, durable power of attorney. I still think the power of attorneys are really important because uh, – you really need somebody who you trust in those positions. Well, and then I, I think to, to that point, it's, it's one of those things where you don't, until you start talking about it and having conversations about, okay, you know, you start playing these scenarios, like if then, right. Like if I get into a car accident and I can't do something, then who is going to take care of my stuff? Like you don't really think about that, but you have to understand how important it is to have things like that in place, right. To, to your point of, of a lot of these, uh, blog post is like having a plan of what to do, right? You know, and, and we'll get into it, but these are potential very stressful situations and and not potentially, I think just in general, they're going to be very stressful situations whenever they come into play. So having a plan in place is super, uh, super important. So it sounds like 
you're you're my you're my brand ambassador for Flip It Finance. And yeah, I would there. say so. And in, in, in this instance, <laughs> yes. Uh, another important one is building on having a plan in place is the advanced medical directive. And that, that sounds like a fancy title, but it's pretty much, do you want life-saving measures on your behalf? Do you want um, them to do as much as possible for you uh, if you're unable to make a decision uh, in a way? So uh, personally, me, uh, I don't want to be a vegetable, but I would like them to try everything to save me for you know a certain period of time. And that's what's in my medical directive is like, uh, give me, give me like a week or something like that. And if I'm not coming out of it, then not, not pull the plug, but like take the support away and take, take other measures away type of thing. So that's what's in my advanced medical directive. Um, there, there's a lot of different options you you can go in there. Um, there's, there's the kind of the, the line from Talladega nights where it's like, well, I don't know. They're, they're putting pig hearts in people now. Uh, type of thing. I'm going to live to 150. It's like, you could put that in your advanced medical directive, like keep me alive. Uh, try everything possible. Try the pig heart if you want to get really specific. Um, so just kind of like the limits to the healthcare that you want uh, on there. Yeah. And and, and, and kind of, going through this, I thought that this was the most difficult, like one of the most difficult decisions to make uh, because it's, you know, you don't think about your own mortality, especially this kind of black and white of like, okay, wow, what do I want in that instance? So I, I struggled a lot uh, when it came to this part of the, of the process. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for me, because I've done it so much with, with clients and, and helped people through this process, I kind of knew where, where I landed on it. So it was an easy thing for me, but what I enjoy about my job is when you go and talk to an estate attorney, you do feel kind of silly asking these questions, but as a holistic financial advisor, I, I meet people where they are and kind of guide them through the path. So whenever you sit down and talk to an attorney, kind of the, the bill starts ringing in a way, way kind of the bill mm -hmm. by hours start turning. But when you, when you work with an advisor like me, we can just have these conversations and, and talk through it. And then I kind of take all the information and push it to the estate attorney. And that they might have some like clarifying questions, but you're not getting charged for that type of conversation. So that's why I like uh, my role as an advisor, as a holistic financial advisor in a way. And then the last part uh, I want to touch on is this: when you do your will, just think of who you want to name as, as your personal representative. This is the person that's uh, executing and settling your estate and taking care of like all the remaining bills and claims and things like that. It's not really the most rewarding job. Uh, in a way, but it's kind of important that it probably gets done properly and uh, the things you own or your wishes are, are taken care of. It's not a fun thing to do. My uncle did my grandmother's and he's he's a lawyer and he was just like, it's it was a tough emotional thing for him to do as well. So things to think about. And as always, like uh, I, I hope any listeners would approach me as, as Fabian has or friends have about their own estate plan. I'm always happy to help people with uh, the weird fog of like what you're trying to do to make sure you're, you're protected in a way. I just want to say um, one thing here when you're doing this and when you do complete this task of eating your vegetables and, and getting this done, I will say that it's important that the people that you have put in place to act on your behalf have 100% access to all the documents that you've put together. Because at the end of the day, if they don't, it's not like there's a place where, People can just go look this up. 
right? So I think it's yes. very important, whether it's digital or, or physical, that people have access to these documents because otherwise all that work you've done is kind of for nothing. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Sam, but that was the feeling that I got uh, when when we left getting that done. Yeah, like 100%. That's a, that's a great point that, I mean, like my estate documents are sitting behind me on the, on the bottom of my bookshelf here. And like, that's probably some good advice for me because I don't think my my healthcare power of attorney right now is my mom. And I'm not yeah. sure if she has a copy or yeah, we emailed it to I, we made, emailed it to our people. Yeah, I still think like email. Hey, mom, love you. But I think in a stressful time, email might not be the best form for you. Well, at least, so at it's least not even that. Can't get lost, it, it'll be there. You know, yeah. somebody can help. Yeah, them. I can't get lost. You know, but you know, love you, mom. But uh, uh, technology is not the best. So <laughs> I keep everything on like box.com, but that's not that's not the best route probably for her. Um, and kind of building on protecting yourself. We talked about a state plan. One of my, not like, not, not, not pet peeves, but just once again, just like asking people, I, and just to clarify, like I get paid nothing for insurance. I, I don't care. I'm a financial mm-hmm. advisor. I only get paid by my clients. I've never sold a product in my entire career, but I want people to be properly covered and protected. And one of those is life insurance. And you don't need any of these complex whole life policies. You don't need XYZ gadget when it comes to insurance. Uh, in my humble opinion, 97, 98% of people out in the world walking around just need some basic term life insurance. Now, you can live in the corporate life. You can usually get uh, pretty cheap uh, term life that pays out one to two times your salary uh, in case you get run over by a bus or something like that which is probably how I'll go considering a uh, biking around and whatnot. But if you're married, you own a home, if you have dependents, uh, any, anything like that, if you're just not a 25 year old bum, like I used to be, then you probably need a little bit more insurance because my like decent rule of thumb for insurance is just, let's make sure we, we pay off the mortgage and then let's replace, call it five years of income. Because whoever your partner is, whoever your dependent is, it'd be nice to have like a transition period of where you're not worrying about money. You're probably rebuilding your life a little bit. And the last thing you want to do is worry about finances. And then step two, if you got kids, I would multiply that by two or three. So you now want your partner, your kids not to worry about money probably until they're 18, 20, 22, get through college. So now you have to replace uh, the income for your mortgage, income for your partner, and also income for your kids in a way. Um, and once again, you get to kind of get the, the fog of, well, I don't know how to do this. This is very confusing. Um, once again, reach out to me. I'm happy to help, but it's pretty easy to kind of guess in a way. You know, your mortgage is what? 400000 whatever it is. Then you have five years of income for your partner. And then I would do... 10 years of, of income for your kids. Bam. You have like a decent guess on what insurance you need uh, on there. And then, then from there, term life policy is, is really the most cheap insurance you'll, you'll ever get. So my policy, um, I got a million dollars for, for 30 years, just for, for my fiance, for the, I did the same math. Baller. You know, um, no kid. 
No, I mean, <laughs> got the mortgage and then you got, you know, five years of income, you know, mortgage is kind of big. <laughs> and so this did that and it only cost me $400 a year uh, on there. So for $400 a year, I know um, if I invariably get run over by a bus or um, she pushes me off a boat or something like that, which uh, I'm surprised she didn't on our last trip, uh, she's covered. So I know you've probably gone through a similar situation as well, right? Yep. So we we went through this uh, a few years ago. I think kind of a lot a lot of this aligned with when we had we had our son uh, to, mm-hmm. to make sure that we shored up like a lot of the like worst case scenario type stuff that we needed. Um, so mm-hmm. w- with insurance, this is different than kind of how money gets allocated through like your estate plan, right? Like you can direct how money gets like where money goes, whereas this kind of just gets paid out. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, life insurance is dependent on your beneficiary designation. So uh, for example, you can just designate your partner uh, in that case, or what some people do is you designate your your partner and then you can leave it. If you have a trust uh, for whatever reason, you can designate your trust after that in case like the bad kind of plane or car accident scenario that way, like your money ends up going kind of where you want it to, or the will will take care of that as well. Any accounts will always pass by your beneficiary designation first. Big reminder to put beneficiaries on all of your accounts. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So that's something I help with clients too. Once a year, we kind of run through all of our accounts and just like, Hey, is this beneficiary correct? Do you still want it going here? Uh, type thing. It's, it's a little annoying. It's not like <laughs> I don't love sitting down and, and talking about beneficiary forms. I think this is like episode 13. This is like the first time we talked about it. I'd much rather talk about like Federal Reserve monetary policy combined with, you know, fiscal tightening and the implications of stock valuations and cue the music, blah, blah, blah. Jay Powell. Type of thing. But like, yeah, Jay, my boy, Jay Powell. But like beneficiary designations are arguably a more important thing than like the stock market return for the next six months. So. Speaking of the stock market returns, I want to take what we just talked about where it's like eating your veggies financially and applying to something that is applicable with the the stock market in a way. And we're actually uh, in Mexico last week and a friend of a friend was asking about restricted stock units. So RSUs uh, in a way. And he ran into like a little bit of situation of he didn't have a plan in place for his RSUs and kind of got jammed up in a, in a way. So when you get RSUs, woohoo, you're living the corporate life. It kind of feels like free money. They just give you like, I don't know, 20, 50, hundred thousand dollars of RSUs, depending on your, on your situation. If you're, can, can you break that down just a little get, bit more? Cause this is like the first time I've yeah. this term. So like, Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So like, um, it, it depends on the company. So like bank executives I, I worked with got RSUs. And what it is, is you'll get like a thousand shares of, let's say, bank stock or, or whatever public company you're working with. Let's say McDonald's and you're an executive there. You get a thousand shares. Like, okay, great. And they're like, you have to stay here for every year. A third of that will vest. So you get 333 shares every year go to you. And then whatever McDonald's is at today, let's say it's $20, that would be roughly $6,000 of ordinary income to you when they vest. So start with a thousand, you get a third of it every year, 
and it's ordinary income when it comes into you. Now, they when they grant it, let's say it was $20 and the McDonald's stock is now $30 when it best to you, you still have an ordinary gain of where it was at $20. And then if you s- sell it, you would have another short-term gain of the plus 10. So you're just getting stock the the where it was granted to you is ordinary income anything above that is capital gains in a way so what i end up advising most people to do is like try and wait a year to get the the 20 to 30 after a year that terms the long term capital gains and is a lower tax rate so that is effectively having a plan in place you know eating your financial veggies sitting down and be like okay this is what we're going to do with our rsus uh, in a way but what happens when you don't have a plan in place is you can have the stock go down. Now, when the stock goes down, we have a lot of Salesforce friends. Let's just say you had $100,000 vest in Salesforce stock at the beginning of 2022. Well, now Salesforce was down 47% in 2022. And depending on your tax bracket, you could owe $30,000 in ordinary income tax and your holding is down roughly 50%. So your holdings down only uh, is down to 50. So after taxes, you've only really made $20,000 off of your $100,000 RSU grant. It's kind of painful. So if you didn't do anything, this is what happened to um, my one friend who brought up this scenario, the company he worked with, stock was down even more. It was down 80 to 90%. So he was effectively what they call underwater in his position, meaning he owed more in tax than his RSUs were worth. So for me, whenever I'm working with a client, it's just, yeah, ouch, ouch. So it's kind of like, what do you do? You owe more tax than this thing's worth. Do you just, do you hold on for dear life or or something like that? I I don't think hope is much of a strategy. Um, But what I do with clients who have RSUs is, is setting out a plan that just a disciplined selling strategy factored on time or price points and not really human emotion. So it'd be like, okay, in six months, we're going to sell this amount or at this price, we're going to sell uh, a third and do like a third, a third, a third or quarter, 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 whatever helps alleviate that person's human nature. Because invariably, whenever someone gets stock, they think it's going to go higher. I worked uh, at a bank in my previous life. Every single executive who got RSUs thought our stock was underrated, was undervalued. I never met one that was like, I don't know, maybe we uh, suck as a bank. Uh, type of thing, <laughs> you know, because they would always ask me, like, what do you think of our stock? And I'd be like, ah, you know, I, I think we're okay. And they're like, what do you mean? Like our dividends great. And we're like really undervalued. I was like, maybe we're undervalued for a reason. Maybe like <laughs> the other banks are better. And, you know, maybe it's why I didn't last there. Cause I would like kind of just like <laughs> jab people a little bit, but I, I wasn't getting RSUs, you know, I wasn't biased. Uh, you know, if, if, if my former uh, employer RIP, uh, gave me RSUs, I would have sold them immediately type of thing, you know, cause I didn't want to deal with that. I, I thought if I put money in the market, it would do better than, than uh, any company stock I got in that situation. So that's how I would uh, build a plan in place is uh, you take time or a price point, or do you think this stock can do better than the market and then build a plan around it rather than just waking up and going, Oh crap, I owe more in taxes than my stock is worth. What do I do now? That was a lot of rambling. Was that helpful to you? Yeah, but it's, I think it, it brought up a lot more questions just because this is a new concept to me. I mean, I don't work mm-hmm. in the corporate world, never really have, don't see myself ever doing it. Good for it. you. 
So good for you. Okay. So when you, you know, when you use the term vested, I have an idea of what that means. And I'm sorry for sounding idiotic, but can you just define the term vested? So that means that like you own it yeah. completely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think we should do a whole episode on RSUs, but to answer your question. So when you, when you get granted stock, uh, if you get granted 10,000 shares, that means nothing. If you leave like the next day, you, you don't get any of those shares when they vest. That means they literally go into your account. They're now yours. You can do whatever you want with them. So, but they also become taxable when they vest. Um, so that's okay. kind of like the thing is, yeah. So, and that's why they have like cliff staggering. So it'd be like, okay, we're going to grant you 10,000 shares, but they're going to vest um, over four years. So you get uh, 2,500 every year. But if you leave in year three, you don't get the remaining of your grant. And so that's to so, limit your risk to taxes as well. No, it's a key, it's a key, it's more to keep people there. Oh, yeah, more to keep people there. Yeah, so it's like, hey, you know, you're going to give up five thousand shares if you leave. Do you really want to leave? And also, yeah. like a little bit of an incentive where it's like, well, now you own stock, and that's why every executive I used to work with is like, this company's great. Our stock's only going to go up. I was like, I don't and know so about that. What makes you think you get, that? The the reason you get taxed on it when it vests is because it's coming into you like money. Like you just got money. Is that what correct? Yeah. Correct. Yep. You just got uh, X amount of shares that are worth X amount plop into your account. And how is that? Sorry, this is just interesting. And my, my brain is spinning. So, so that's different from you. Like, let's say I were to buy the same amount of stock myself, right? I don't work in that company. Mm -hmm. Would I be? I wouldn't be responsible for that same amount of tax, or would I? Correct. So just just think of it. Let's say you're. Let's say you're an executive. I'm, I'm using uh, my own money that I've already paid like taxes on. Is that why? Yeah, you've already. Yeah, you've okay. already paid taxes on it. So like a typical kind of Salesforce executive that I've run into. Let's just say they're making two hundred thousand dollars a year, and then part of their compensation is sometimes RSUs. Other times it's options. Let's not talk about the other ones. But RSUs, they'll be like, okay, you'll get a 10,000 10, share grant when you join. And it it goes out uh, quarterly over four years type of thing. And it's kind of cheaper in a way for companies to pay stock in a way uh, rather than uh, paying compensation. So it's effectively compensation paid out to you, but paid in shares. Got it. That's why it's taxed at ordinary income rates. Because if it wasn't, then like all the companies were like, oh, we'll just pay you an RSUs. I would love that. It'd be great. The, the tax taxes would be lower if you hold it for a year. All right. Boom. Boom. So, boom. Boom. That's a good place to end. And I think uh, we'll do a whole episode on RSUs. That'd probably be good. Yeah, I, I think. And then yeah. you mentioned options. I would, I would love to dive into that world and, and get myself more familiar with what that means. So. Sounds good. And if anyone has RSU questions or option questions, reach out to us. If you have estate planning questions or life insurance questions, love to help. This will help us build um, uh, more, more things in the future for, you know, if we've got one listener, we'll, we'll, we'll do it uh, in a way. So we're, we're always uh, open to, to feedback, but please uh, subscribe, share, rate the podcast. That's how we'll get more listeners, more questions better content hopefully rather than rambling so with that we'll sign off